So the book of Esther, I want to begin by saying this, Romans 8, 28 is a verse that I'm sure all of you are familiar with. God works all things together for good, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, there can hardly be a more important verse in the Bible. I would say it's, it's, I would say that it's not an exaggeration to say all of the Christian walk hinges and, and our ability to live our Christian walk and walk in joy hinges on whether or not we actually believe that verse. We're commanded in, in Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. Multiple times. I, it says in Philippians, and I refer to Philippians, that's where we are on Sunday mornings. Um, rejoice in the Lord, I will say it again. Rejoice. And I would say whether or not you can obey that verse and hardly be a more important thing than fighting with all your might every day for the joy of the Lord. That's, got, that's what God wants you to do because your joy ties directly into His, what? Someone shouted out. Glory. And He looks for His glory. And so with our joy, um, as those people observe our life, in whatever circumstances that we're in, having joy, God is glorified. They're interested in our God. That person, that man, that woman must have a great God for them to be rejoicing. But it all hinges on whether or not you believe Romans 8.28. can hardly be a more important verse for the Christian life. Romans 8.28. God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, why do I bring that up now? Because the book of Esther is basically a book about uh, confirming the truth of Romans 8.28. It's a highly unusual book because the name of God is never mentioned in it. Imagine that. There's a book of the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God. Uh, and uh, hey, that was the Holy Spirit's choice. It's not, it's not our idea. We don't decide what what book makes the Bible. He, he um, the Holy Spirit decided, and might it be that he decided that because you don't necessarily see God around I mean he's not working. He is working. And maybe, maybe that's the meaning of it. I don't know. Uh, sort of the Jews, the God's people are mentioned, and it's a very important uh, book uh, in the Bible, uh, but more than anything else, it is a real historical living example, astonishing example, God works all things together for good to those who love God. Counseling someone um, in the past week who been fighting a divorce or was final last week and told them God works all things together for good 
including divorce. Absolute certainty that if you have been called love God and are called according to His purpose, meaning His purpose is your purpose, He will use your divorce for good. It's just a fact. Or whatever the circumstances is. Uh, and uh, God works all things for good to those who love God and are called according to purpose. That means that common expression that we hear from time to time oh, that person, that event ruined that person's life. Or hear, hear that expression, oh, th their life was ruined. That, that, that person trashed that other person's life, whatever. It just is not in our language. Not in our language. So, um, Romans 8.28, God will use it for good. Mary, Mary, do you want to ask her if she wants translation? No, no, está bien, okay. Um, so, the book of Esther. The last two, uh, the last two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, were about the Jews who had been, they were the Jews or the descendants of the Jews who... Um, had been forcibly removed from Jerusalem. The, the, uh, most of the Jews were killed by Nebuchadnezzar. Most of the Jews were killed by him. Uh, some of them were forcibly taken back to Babylon, 900 miles away. Can you imagine that? Um, the trauma of that. And But Jeremiah prophesied before they were carted away that in 70 years they would return. Now why, did, why were they all carted away forcibly? Chains, why were they sent to Babylon? Because of generations of rebellion that got increasingly worse. The Bible says the prophets rose up early in the morning. I just love that. When you read Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they got up early in the morning, I think it's both of them that say this, warned them day after day. They didn't pay attention. Sin, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed and you will be judged. If you sin, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed and you will be judged. If you sin, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And, and, and finally, it's like, okay, have it your way. So they were judged. Most of them were killed. But a, a sizable amount of them were brought back to Babylon. <clears throat> and if it was almost any other race or people, they would have assimilated into the culture and you never would have heard from them again. The problem was is that within their people, within their line of people, there was the seed of the messianic line. God had promised David that through his, one of his descendants would be the savior of the world. And so they didn't assimilate into the culture. And just as Jeremiah said, many of them returned. 
and that's what, and, and, and built the temple and also built the wall around Jerusalem. That's what the book of Ezra and Nehemiah is about, those two events. The book of Esther is about those who stayed behind. It's about uh, uh, some of the Jews who, who had stayed behind uh, in Babylon. By the time of the writing of the book of Esther, the Babylonian Empire had fallen and they had been defeated, defeated by the Medes and the Persians. And that's the setting here. Uh, so, uh, let's just begin here. It says, now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the province being before him. By the way, did I pray? Yes, I did. I'm glad that some, some people said no, because that makes me feel better. That, that, um, <laughs> that not everyone has a, has, a, has, a, has a good memory. So we did pray. We did pray. Okay. So, uh, verse 2, it says this man Ahasuerus was in this place called Shushan. Now, some of you may remind, but remember from the first chapter of Nehemiah, that's where Nehemiah worked. He worked for the king, um, and he worked for Artaxerxes, who was the son of this man, Ahasuerus. Now, Ahasuerus' name... Um, in, in secular history, is Xerxes. Xerxes was the son of Darius. Darius was the son of Cyrus. Cyrus was the original one who sent the Jews back to um, sent the Jews back to to Israel under the under Zerubbabel and when Zerubbabel uh, returned. And so the son of, uh, so the son of uh, Xerxes is Artaxerxes, where, where Nehemiah was in his court. He was his cupbearer. So this is actually taking place before Nehemiah, these events right here. And it's this uh, king, uh, secular historians call him Xerxes, and it says that uh, he, I mean, he was one powerful dude. 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. I mean, this guy really was powerful. And um, it says here that in the third, verse 3, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles, the princes of the province, uh, verse 4, it says, When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many, 180 days in all. So he had a six-month party. What these guys did uh, with their wealth. You know, uh, the, the concept of a servant king, of a king who was 
a shepherd, someone who served his people. That was a foreign concept that rose up among the Jews. It says that David was a shepherd of God's people. Uh, the verse that I love and I remind myself when I'm preparing every Sunday, it says that God raised up David for his people Israel. Not for David himself. But the pagan kings, the kingdom existed for them to do whatever they want. For example, to have a harem of dozens and dozens and dozens of women, we'll see that coming. It, 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 and of course, you know, David, of course, was infected with that as well. He was infected by uh, the world in that sense. Uh, but, and so was Solomon. But, but David was an, also an example of a godly king who actually reigned for his people and not the other way around. But this guy is showing his riches of his, it says, of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty. Now, you will read about this guy in secular history. Uh, his father was Darius. We know about Darius from Daniel, the book of Daniel, which we will get to eventually. Wow, that's going to be a long time. Uh, Jesus may return before we get to uh, Daniel. But um, uh, Darius, uh, his father, had attempted to defeat Greece. So Greece was an up-and-coming power. Darius lost. And it is believed that he had this huge feast that lasted six months. And, and the rulers of his kingdom would come, probably not all at the same time, but periodically throughout the six months, um, to persuade them that, listen, I have, so, I'm so loaded with money and splendor, we're going to be able to defeat the Greeks this time. It was believed that he was trying to marshal the interest to defeat the Greeks. Um, he lost to them. Uh, and uh, he's kind of a wicked guy, as we're going to see. He was a pagan king. Um, but but uh, so it was all for naught. You know, God's not into... Uh, he's just not into men glorifying themselves. We know that from Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who, if uh, again, years from now when we get to Daniel, <laughs> uh, it, it, some of you are familiar with the story that, that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, at one point, he looked over and he says, wow, this great kingdom that I built. And it says, as the words were on his mouth, the Lord struck his mind and he became crazy. And he actually went to the, to the fields and ate with the cattle for seven years until he regained his uh, sanity. God's not okay with us being filled with pride and, and not recognize it. The Bible says, it's a great verse, it says, um, it says, you are going to eat with the cattle of the field until you recognize that I can ask anyone the emperor of the world. Not to be you. There's nothing about you. Great verse <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to memorize and brand on your soul, especially if you're a leader. But here again, you have a, a pagan king. He's very impressed with himself, and uh, he is having this, this party. Verse 5 says, And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan, the citadel, from great to small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace, there were white and blue linen, curtains, 
fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars. And the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other with royal wine in abundance according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory, for so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace which belonged to King Ahasuerus. So, um, in one side of the palace there was the men that were having their feast. It was a grand feast. Just no expense was... Uh, there was no expense that was uh, not worth it. Um, the, and, and on the other side of the palace, the queen had the feast for the women. Verse 10, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he was drunk. He commanded Mahuman, Zethar, and Carcass, seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Asherwares. Eunuch was a man who had been castrated. Uh, they were usually very strong, big men. And they were castrated um, because um, th that it was believed that that would prevent them from uh, doing something they shouldn't for with one of the women in the king's harem. Um, it says, it, it, they commanded them, verse 11, to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials for she was beautiful to behold. Beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come. Imagine that. Most powerful man in the world and his wife is refusing to come. He refused to come at the king's command brought, uh, command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore the king was furious and his anger burned within him. So this is a very interesting verse. You commentators will, um, will differ on what, whether what she did was right or wrong. I agree with, I think, the majority of commentators that what she did was um, a right and a noble thing. Because what it was is he wanted uh, her to he wanted to basically display her as a sexual object in front of all his drunk buddies. You know, it's it, it, it's kind of like sort of out in the world when guys have their girlfriends or or their wives, they want them to dress. Not modestly. They want other guys to be lusting after their girlfriend. It makes them feel good and powerful. It's a common thing. In the world. 
So the Bible says a beautiful passage. Now, that, now these guy, this guy, Queen Vashti is a pagan, um, meaning he's, he's not a Christian, doesn't know anything about God. He has absolutely nothing about God. He's a polytheist, believes in many gods. And so is Queen Vashti. But there's a beautiful picture in the Bible of the relationship between Christ and the church. And it's, it's the picture of a husband and a wife. And uh, it says, Husband loves your wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. But um, previous to that, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And it's a beautiful picture of Christ and the church. And we know in the book of Galatians, there's neither man nor woman in Christ, meaning they're both equal in the eyes of the Lord. But there is a picture that God gave in Genesis chapter 2 as a picture of the beauty the relationship between Jesus and you, between God and Israel, but between God and you, where a woman submits with joy to her husband. There is an exception, and that is when the husband is asking her to sin, which I believe is going on here. It's not okay. If your husband is asking you to dress them modestly because filled with pride and wants other men to be lusting after you, it's not okay to obey him. It's disobedience to the Lord to obey him and it's okay not to submit. Same thing for kids and parents. If your parents are, the kids are told obey in all things your parents and that is pleasing to the Lord, it says in Ephesians, uh, Colossians 3, also Ephesians. But if your parents are asking you to sin, you have God's permission, say no. So she does say no here. She refuses to go in and have, you know, uh, the sort of slobbering, drunk people, um, uh, men uh, uh, lusting after her. It says the king was furious and his anger burned within him. Verse 13, Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner toward all who knew law and justice, those closest to him being Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshith, Miras, Marsena, Mamukan, the seven princes of Persia and Media who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom, what shall we do to Queen Vashti according to law? Because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus brought to her by the eunuchs. Now, this is a crisis for the king. He may have been kicking himself, like why did I ask her to do this? Um, but he did. And the problem was is that he's trying to convince these people to go to war with him. The, these are kings underneath him. So he's the emperor, and there's all kinds of kings and officials all over the empire. And he still needs their cooperation to go to war against Greece. And, and man, if he can't handle if this guy can't handle his own wife, how is he going to handle the Greeks? Who defeated his father. And so um, uh, he's got to do something about this now. Uh, what shall we do with Queen Vash Vashti? Because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus 
brought to her by the eunuchs. And uh, verse 16, Mamukan answered before the king and the princes, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen, queen's behavior will become known to all women so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report. King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him. Did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. It pleases the king. Let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will not be altered that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. And the king's decree, which he will make, is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great. All wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. And the reply pleased the king and the princes. And the king did according to the word of Mamukan. Then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in its own script, and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master in his own house and language of his own. Now, important, it's important to understand that the law of the Medes and Persians, you can't revoke it. That was the thing. Once it's a law, it's, it can't be revoked. It cannot be repealed. Uh, and so, it, it, um, you know, it's, it, it is an interesting um, predicament that, uh, it is an interesting predicament that, uh, he finds himself in because there is some some truth to to what is said here um, you know if you if you look in the qualifications for someone to be a pastor uh, it does say that it, uh, th to be a pastor or an elder uh, it does say that uh, Pastor Elder has to manage his, his home well. And that if he has a wife that is basically defiant of her husband, uh, that's a real bad thing for a church. Churches and communities are, are built on solid families. And, and you know, it's, it is a terrible thing to see when there is a wife of a pastor or an elder who's sort of out of control, can't be managed by her husband, and uh, that will lead to a lot of damage in a church. I'm so grateful for the wives of the elders of Calvary Chapel that they're just wonderful women of God. 
Um, but he does, there is some, a lot of truth into what, uh, what is going on here. The problem is he had asked his wife then. So uh, uh, what really should have happened is he should have uh, of, of repented. But pagans really don't do that. Um, he should have publicly repented. And so this thing um, winds up happening. Vashti uh, will never see her, uh, her husband again. And so we come to, uh, to chapter 2. I will say this, you know, my mentor, uh, one of my mentor is a guy named Damien Kyle, who I am so privileged to have him as my mentor. Um, and he says of this eight-month party, it says of this eight-month party, it says uh, he, for eight months in verse 4, he says he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty, six months. And he points out, and I love how he points this out, that Ephesians chapter 2 says this of you and me. God raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Meaning, it took Ahasuerus six months to show his wealth. It's going to take God all eternity. Show us how good he is. Riches, grace towards us. Wonderful, true thought. But man, his party went bad, huh? Party, his party went sour. The party in heaven is not going to go sour. <laughs> but um, uh, the, uh, but, but uh, his party uh, did not go the way that he wanted it to go. So, chapter 2 says, After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, remembered Vashti what she had done and what had been decreed. Now, uh, Bible scholars say that there is a three-year period between chapter 1 and 2 in which Ahasuerus went off to battle the Greeks and he lost. So he, he comes back and um, he's like, hmm, uh, he's thinking about uh, what do I do about that day I got drunk said that really stupid thing and I basically passed a law that Vashti is not my uh, wife anymore and I can't rescind that because it would, would be illegal to. What am I supposed to do? And so he asks for advice. What do I do now? Verse 2 says, The king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, into the women's quarters, under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This thing pleased the king and he did so so in shushan the citadel there was a certain jew whose name was mordecai 
So again, the Jews had been forcibly removed from Israel, and uh, some of them had gone back, but not all of them, or many of them had gone back, but not all of them. Mordecai was one of the ones who stayed behind, or his family. And it says, he's the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been ca captured with Je Jeconiah, uh, who was the king, um, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So he's among the, uh, the, the descendants of the people who had been forcibly removed from Israel. He's now living hundreds of miles away from home. Verse 7, And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. So she was his cousin. For she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So she's his cousin, but she's much, he's much older. So it was when the king's command and decree were heard... And when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. So, uh, this is not a good thing. <laughs> the, she, this is like by force. They're taking these women who had a reputation for beauty forcibly taking them and saying, hey, you're going to get ready to visit the king. He's looking for a new queen. But it was just going to be this incredibly humiliating process. Now the young women pleased, rather, verse 9. Um, now the young woman pleased him, meaning the eunuch who was in charge of this thing, one of the king's eunuchs, and she obtained his favor, so he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. So these women who are being prepared to meet with the king, to have sex with the king, spend a night with him, uh, she is favored by the guy who's in charge of this whole thing. And verse 10 says, Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. Don't tell them you are a Jew. Anti-Semitism going on today. The devil's way. And there was anti-Semitism then. Don't tell them you are a Jew. It's a spiritual thing, in case you didn't figure that out on your own. Uh, the devil is an anti-Semite. So, uh, it says in verse 11, And every day Mordecai paced in front of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. He was worried sick about what was going on. He was really, he probably maybe even felt personal responsibility for not guarding her or something. This is the girl who 
uncle's daughter, he just felt terrible about what was going on. So he's pacing in front of the court of the woman's quarters to learn what was going on. Verse 12, each, woman, each young woman's turn came to go into King Ashuerus after she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulations for women. For thus were the days of their preparation apportioned. Six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the woman's quarters to the king's palace. So 12 months, this is a long process, 12 months they prepared for the one night they would have with the king. You see, the kingdom was all about him. That's what it was. It was about him. It wasn't about the people. It was about him. So, in the, verse 14. In the evening she went, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch who kept the concubines, she would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. So for most women, this would just be an awful humiliation because she was a virgin, she would have sex with him for one night, and then she would never, most of them would never see him again. It was just... This is like male dominance and subjection of women at its worst is what it is. She would be part of a very large harem and she's likely never to even see him again. Incredibly demeaning, humiliating process. And when he asked for Queen Vashti to um, for, for, for Queen Vashti to um, be displayed in front of you know all his drunk buddies and I was there too I, I'm not I, 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 I'm not saying oh this terrible horrible guy as if all that was not that kind of stuff was not part of my own life before I was walking with the Lord but that's you know uh, sin sin has its way with, with men and that's what they do but but, but, but the, the, the value of, wi of women just being in their beauty. You know, it, it's shocking to me how the, uh, the, the pro-abortion movement has got so much steam, so much power um, over the years. And, and, and yet, the, the, the whole feminist movement, um, which in many respects is the fault of uh, came about because women were in fact for hundreds of years mistreated in a demeaning way and it it it, came, it arose originally for many totally valid good reasons but it's gone way way overboard now to where a woman you know they fight for a woman's right to 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 to, to kill a human being in her own body but it's always been shocking to me that the feminist movement doesn't do more about the about pornography and um, and and using women 
in in a way just in the media and in and in the advertising world where their their value is a hundred percent on their body and their beauty. Now there are some sec segments of the feminist movement who really care a lot about that. And so sometimes you have the very strange bedfellows where you have a conservative Christian organization and a feminist organization joining together and opposing certain things. It happens where, you know, there's either pornography and, and, and things like that. But, but still, it's amazing that not more is said about that today, that they remain silent I believe it's a, it's a money thing. There's just so much money tied up in devaluing women. And really behind it, it's a demonic thing. Because the devil's all about trying to demeaning the value of not only women, but of course everyone. But, but um, can there be a more demeaning process than what these women are going for? says at the end of verse 14, she, would, she, the woman going in, would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her and called her by name. Verse 15. Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, ah, Abihel? It's like, not Abigail, it's Abihel. Uh, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's unit, the custodian of the women, advised. I mean, she's being smart here, right? I'm just going to submit to this guy. I have favor with this guy. I'm just going to do what he tells me uh, to do. She's a wise woman. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So the, the deal here is that he, she's not only beautiful, she's, she's very wise, this woman. Uh, she's very smart, and uh, you know, the king doesn't, the king didn't just want someone who was very beautiful, he wanted someone who was wise as well. Uh, it says, verse 16, so Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibeth in the seventh year of the reign. The king loved Esther more than all other women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So let's just briefly go back to Romans 8.28. I mean, you know, here, you will be in situations in your life, and some of you are in these situations now, where... There is just no, you cannot think of how God could ever use it for good. Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Man, if there is a verse in the Bible you should memorize, in addition to John three sixteen and Psalm 23, that's the one. <laughs> Advertisement for Psalm 23. Um, but... Uh, uh, You will be in situations where you will have no idea, but God is in control. So Mordecai, can you imagine what this guy is thinking? I mean, I, I remember when our kids were young and, and you know, you lose a kid in a department store or something and, and, and it's like the end of your life. Your fear just completely grips you. Uh, and, 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 you know, until, until you find them, you know, you start praying and you, you 
but you have very little faith. At least I did. You just, you're in the flesh running around looking for them, then you find them. But, but, um, but, but, but here Mordecai has this, this, this young lady in his care, and he's thinking how, you know, he's pacing back and forth outside um, her, her, her quarters. How could anything ever become good of this? And she herself, she knows what's going on. She's just going to, she, she believes with all her heart, she's just going to be, she's in this like factory mill of women. She's going to have one night of sex, lose her virginity, be in a harem for the rest of her life. What good can possibly come of this? There is a God who keeps his eye on his children. The Bible says that the eye of the Lord is on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The eye of the Lord is on the righteous. The eyes, rather, of the Lord are on the right, right. And his ears are attentive to their cry. That is Psalm 34. The Lord, uh, he knows what he's doing here. He has a work that he, that he wants to do. He's got many things he wants to do. One of them is to destroy the enemies of the Jews. And that's what's going to happen by the end of this book. And, and, but, but uh, of course, uh, Mordecai doesn't know that, and Esther doesn't know that, but then all of a sudden, okay, like, hmm, what's going on? Goes Esther. After, uh, okay, God, what are you up to here? Now, this is like a pretty big deal. Or maybe they were thinking, this is really bad. <laughs> I mean, I raised this girl as a Jew, and now she's going to become a full-on pagan. And she uh, is just one of hundreds of, or, or dozens of women uh, that, this, that this guy um, has relationships uh, relations with. How could this be? I mean, I don't know where he's at. If, if, if it was me, I probably would be thinking that. Like, this is not a good thing. Her faith in God is going to be trashed. She's going to be in the, the court. There's all kinds of sorcery and idolatry more than you can ever imagine going on so Mordecai's probably going this is not a good thing and perhaps Esther's thinking the same thing God's up to something He's up to something really really big here the king loved Esther more than all the other women verse 18 then the king made a great feast the feast of Esther For all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces, gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. Verse 19 is pretty disgusting. And again, I say this not to uh, elevate myself, because all of this is in all of our hearts. Really bad. It says, when virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat down within the king's gate. He just kept on going, this guy. This is not, that movie, Esther, that, that you guys, some, some of you watched, I think I've watched it. It paints this guy in a fairly noble fashion. Don't believe any of it. He's a wicked dude, this guy. But he's just, he's already, you know, he's already chosen his queen, but he's just still lining up women for his own sexual pleasure. It says, when virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai uh, sat within the king's gate. Verse 20, now Esther, 
had not revealed her family and her people. I want to make sure we have time to pray tonight. I, you know, I just want to back up and say this one thing because you know, everyone's looking real serious. I'm talking, I'm talking a lot about sex and, and these sexual things. And you go, oh, uh, how exactly? What, what expression am I supposed to have on my face right now? But, uh, uh, but, um, it's, it, but you know, a lot of people, that, they, they look at the Apostle Paul in his writings and they say, um, they say, uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John I like, but I don't like Paul. He, the guy's a sexual prude. Because if you, leave, if, if, if you read Paul um, and, and the list that he has of sins, I mean, it's like, why does, he, why, why does he single out sex? Why does he do this? You know, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, it, uh, in, in the works of the flesh, the first five or six Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, all sexual sins before he gets to a non-sexual sin. Like what kind of prude, religious prude is this guy? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Where Paul says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, or covetous, Etc. Etc. Will enter the kingdom of God. So, what is it? Four out of the first five. One, two, three, four, five. Four out of the first five are sexual sins. Like, what's wrong with this guy? Same thing in the book of Colossians and Ephesians, by the way. Prominence of sexual sin. Like, why is that? Why, why does that happen? I remember asking Pastor Keith. I asked him this about six months ago. What percent of your counseling has to can be of people who are, they're messed up in their counseling. You're in counseling. And that, what percentage of the people does their problem relate back to some kind of sexual sin? And he immediately said 80%. 80%. I would have put it at 70%. And by that we mean, um, by that we mean that the person in front of you, either because of their sexual sins or usually what is the case, their parents' sexual sin or the sexual sin of their grandparents or someone else, they're messed up. There's some damage in their life. 80%, Key said. There's, sex is an incredibly powerful, beautiful thing done within marriage. One man, one woman. But as soon as, but, but, but the, the, the whole thing is a picture of, of Christ's love and his in, intimacy for the church and his people, and it's a, it's a profoundly spiritual thing. Paul says, when I'm, the difference between sexual sin, you sin against your own body. There's, there's something different about it that messes us up. And for that reason, it's given such prominence in the word of God. And for, that, and for that reason, we are serious about sexual sin with our kids, with our, with, with our youth. Now, sometimes we, we overreact and we're so filled with fear for our kids, we, we overdo it in terms of how much we protect them. We've got to watch out for things like that. But, but um, just why do I bring it up now? It's because it's we're seeing women lining up to trash their lives. It's not a small thing. It, it, you know, it's, a, it's an outrageous thing that, that, um, that has happened and, 
And, and yet, this is what happened. Genesis 3, I tell you, when man chose to be his own God, which is Adam and Eve's sin, it's been the sin of every one of us ever since then, everything gets messed up, including sex. And so, um, and so but God is going to work this thing out in Esther's life for good. He's going to work it out for good. Verse 20 says, Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as, she, or as when she was brought up by him in those days. While Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thing and Deresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on uh, King Ahasuerus. So they wanted to assassinate him. And this is like typical of ancient kingdoms, intrigue, assassinations. That's why they had wine bear, you know, to taste the wine. They had cup bears to taste the wine and the food before it got to the king because um, they would try to poison the king. So these two eunuchs that wanted to kill him Verse 22, so the matter became known to Mordecai who told Queen Esther and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed and both were hanged on a gallows and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now it's interesting that the king forgets about this guy Mordecai. He forgets about him. It's like, what's up with that? He just saved his life. And come on, don't you want to give him like a, his own feast or something like that? Maybe Mordecai is thinking, come on, you know. My luck is going from bad to worse. No such thing as luck. We'll learn from the book of Esther. He is going to remember Mordecai's name at a, at a future time when the Lord's purposes are will be coming to fruition. You know, the Lord, I tell you, um, it says that he holds, the proverb says he holds the heart of the king in his hand like a water course goes wherever. Just whatever. The king thinks he's in charge. He's not. The Lord is. God works all things together for good to, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Hey, you know what I want to do now? You know, this is, this is kind of a sobering message. But I hope all of you will be back for next week. Are you crazy? You think TV is good? And, I, and, and like filled with juicy stuff? Tuesday night at Calvary Chapel in the city. Esther, going through Esther. Please be back next week. Please, please, please. We're going to continue this if Jesus tarries. 